0: Already have the oh. Yeah, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Alright. This is beautiful. i the first time I am going to it search. have we have we to have a plan.
1: a I don't know if Your my took it out not How great
0: just want to tell you thank you just for being patient with me and just for giving me another chance you've always been there for me and you were the the father that i never knew i just want to say This. when I
1: call hold your name, do you love him? My love, I give do you love him?
0: My love, I give I give my We're gonna say that again. Oh, Just wave I your hand and say, Your touch, your touch.
1: Jesus, your kiss. your kiss, and your grace.
0: I don't know what I'm talking about? Is Jesus is deeper than. Yeah. Bless your name. My soul.
1: Good morning, everyone. So glad to have you here and the ones that are watching on live stream. We are here to worship our God, our Father. He is holy and worthy to be praised. Why don't you stand your feet and let's worship God? He is holy, holy. live a sinless life, Lord God. Lord, that to die on that cross for our sins, God, and to be buried. And on that third day morning, rose with all power to be our living hope. So God, we thank you for your grace. We thank you for your mercy, Lord. We thank you for your provision. But we give you all the praise and all the glory. In Jesus, by the name we pray. We all say
2: Joseph and Thana Musa, sorry, I said that incorrectly. I met them several months ago when they presented to our missions committee uh, the work that they're doing. And today they're going to share that work uh, that God is doing with them with uh, their world organization. So, welcome, Joseph and Thana.
0: Praise the Lord, so good to be with you, hallelujah. (laughs) Amen, thank you. I'm gonna give my wife just uh, for a minute to introduce herself, then we're gonna go and share with you about the ministry.
2: Good morning everyone, thank you so much for having us. I was uh, very blessed with the worship, was very blessed with the ministry yesterday, with the service. I actually was looking at uh, your uh, advertisement, whatever the slides were going before, and I noticed that you have a podcast, And you have a Facebook streaming, and this is amazing. Thank God for your ministry. The podcast has been now the new generation uh, reach out. And actually, I do a podcast, it's called Arabic Bible Encouraging Words that I launched in November 2018. And my most audience are in Saudi Arabia. (laughs) So just to pray for this ministry that we've been doing uh, for outreach. Besides our uh, local ministry with a church, with seeing people face to face, we want to uh, ask God to bless our ministry between like, seeing people face to face, individual ministry, and also reaching uh, people around the globe. My name is uh, Thana, which means praise. My father used to love the count your blessing one by one hymn, and in Arabic that hymn is translated, for the word praise translated to Thana, so he picked this name. And I pray that God make my life a praise for the Lord. I grew up in a Christian home with my uncle was evangelist. My other uncle was a Bible study teacher in the country. He was well known. But myself, I did not get saved until I was in college. I'm very happy that God brought me to salvation. God was searching for me. People were praying for me, and I got saved. I don't know my cousin prayed for me years for me to get saved i don't know who you are praying for and it's taking long time but keep the faith keep praying for them one day they will come to the lord like i came Amen. now i'll give my husband the rest thank, thank
0: you. you thank you so much my dear we just have 10 minutes so we're going to go a little bit quickly i would love to share with you what god has been doing we give him and him along all the glory. Amen. So this is my better half right here. And uh, I came to the state at the age of 14 is Allentown, Pennsylvania. Both of us, my wife and I, uh, we grew up in the Presbyterian home. And both of us got saved during college. She was studying to be a dentist. I was studying to be an engineer. And God called us to the ministry, so we thank the Lord. But I got saved in America. She got saved in Syria. After I got saved, finished Bible college, went back to my home country for nine years as a missionary. That's where i met Thana. God blessed us with four grown children. But we have seen more than 50 people get baptized in the country of Syria. More than 200 people come to the Lord and get saved. And then we were called to come back to the state. This is one of the uh, camps that we used to have for the teens. We used to train them, go evangelism, and uh, it was a wonderful ministry. Then God called us in 97 to come back to the state to plant churches among Arabic-speaking people. We plant one uh, in Rockville, Maryland, and uh, one in York, Pennsylvania. And we planted one here in, actually, Harrisburg. Uh, And you're going to see a nice uh, slide, one of those slides coming up. You're going to figure out where in Harrisburg. And then we had now an outreach to the Allentown. Our hearts now to reach the central Pennsylvania. This here is in Rockville, Maryland. And this here is in York, Pennsylvania. And we still hold that ministry in York. We thank the Lord for that ministry. Uh, And uh, this here, does someone recognize this picture? Does anybody recognize this picture? Just think. Downstairs. That's all downstairs. That's right. Because when we came to Harrisburg, when we had our church plan, Pastor Mike, so was generous, and the church here, they gave us the place for a few months. Then they moved us to 14th Street and Market in, in Harrisburg. You not, not you. They, the CMA moved us. No, not you. The CMA moved us there because we were part of them. And it was too dangerous down there. <laughs> we missed those days when we were here. Then we had to go to, to, uh, to Colonial uh, Drive. But now we're just focusing in the church in New York. My wife, she has been a great support to the ministry, working with different ages. And here are some of the people that got saved and got baptized. That's, that was a young couple that converted Muslim. Many of the ministry that we have is people, when they come here, they don't have anything like you see usually we uh we try to furnish help them with with uh, essential things this year in our church in, in allentown about six years ago we realized the middle east was like in a torment so we had a prayer meeting and uh we thanked the lord that god is now uh, we could see things changing in the middle east because of i believe the prayer of God's saints um this young lady she was with our church when we planted church in syria now she lives in the white this is some of the baptism we had these baptism, they are now leaders oh this young man is their son uh, these the next baptism are are muslim being converted and being baptized uh, I wish I could go on and tell you the story of these people. Each one of them has a wonderful story. By the way, this guy is from Iraq. He saw Jesus before he got saved. And he, Jesus has a long white hair. So he kept his hair uh, long and white. He said he wants to be like Jesus. So, <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, so, and here's uh, Dr. Muhammad Rahoma. He was a dean of university in the country of uh, Egypt. The other guy from, uh, actually, Iraq. The guy was along here. Uh, He was a dean of university. He got saved after September 11. I baptized him. Then he started a TV ministry. And uh, we had a wonderful time sharing the gospel across, across the globe together. This is a couple pictures here about our annual. The highlight of the year is our annual Bible conference. We have it every year. We were supposed to have it next week. At, uh, in Reading, but we could not because of Corona. So we are planning to have it streamed on a, on a satellite channel, TV. We'll talk about it a little bit more at the end of the service. But we thank the Lord for this conference. Usually we see tens of people come to the Lord during the, anu- the annual conference. Last year after we finished our conference in Reading, God put in my heart to go back to Syria after 10 years of war, went back to Syria last year and God blessed beyond our expectation. This is, a, this is a church in Damascus, a Baptist church in Damascus. Uh, there were about 400 in the morning, 400 in the evening. This is another church in the suburb of Damascus. There was about 200 people there. This is in the Blue Dan, about an hour from Damascus. Another 200. I was there 18 days. I preached in 18 different places in six major cities. And every place God moves in a powerful way. And this year there was an actor. He was a, he was a cousin, relative of Sathana. But he is a well-known actor in Syria. He came, heard the gospel for the first message. This is another. This is CNMA church in the suburb of Damascus. Uh, this is a conference for people from all over Syria. They came to this place. This is a church in a, in a valley called Nazarene. A church. Many of our ch- church members in the city, they went to that place. The young man right there. I don't know. I do have a beeper thing. I don't know which one it is. The young man right there, he told me, do you remember? He said, no. He said, when I was 10 years of age, you led me to Christ in a conference. And I said, I'm so glad that you're walking with the Lord. It was beautiful to see this. This is the first church I pastored, pastored, pastored in Syria. It is a Baptist church. Um, and that's where actually we got near it. They had 600 people in that place. I was, praise God. And that was, that was before, after the war. Because of the Lord, they were so thirsty for the word of God. And uh, I thank the Lord for that. We have to see so many people come to the Lord and get saved. This is church in Tartus. And this is in Latakia, another major city. This is my hometown where I grew up. I was so happy to be with them. And this will go here to Damascus. i seen a church in Damascus. They had about 400 people. Some of these people, they drove about six to seven hours to come to that service. They're good old friends, and this is church. If you could look at this picture here, at the invitation you see hands. If you count them, there's about 30, 30 hands. These the people that got saved. With these 18 services, I don't know. I don't want to exaggerate, but I believe at least about 300 to 400 people accepted the Lord. I thank God for that. I thank the Lord for that. God is good. God is. I was supposed to go back this fall, but I don't know. This church in here. 95% of the people in the church are from a Muslim background. This is in the border of, of Syria and Israel. And uh, this here in the old city of Damascus, the wall called, uh, where this, 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 I don't know, where's, there's a beam, of someplace around right here. I don't know, I'm just, yeah. Uh, this wall here, there's a small corner, they say that's where John, uh, that's where Paul, the apostle, was brought down from that. Uh, uh, from that little window just has been blocked. That's the old city wall of Damascus. And they believe that's what John, there's a church called uh, Paul, the church of, church of St. Paul right there. So that's Syria, these many of the orphan, uh, these many of the uh, ladies that are widows that we still until now, support them every once in a while. This is on Al-Karma TV and I'm closing. Al-Karma TV usually take our satellite, our, our conference, and air it on satellite. If you look at this, this is the president of Al-Karma. They are connected, they are in California. But Al-Karma, just like uh, Daystar and those uh, satellite TV, they are connected with 17 different satellite. He told me they cover more than 95% of the world with their satellite, praise the Lord. So now we cannot have our conference in Reading, but we are planning to have our conference through the satellite. We were supposed to have it next week, but to do this, we need, we need some equipment. So thank God we just found a place in York. They gave us beautiful room to build a studio in which we could use beside our ministry in, in York and, and preaching and church plant, we could use it as evangelistic tools to reach out the, the Arabic world with the gospel. This is a studio we still, now we are about one third of our goal right there. We got some of the equipment in here. As a matter of fact, this is the green screen, but we still have the computer, as a couple more cameras and so forth. I do have a letter, please feel free. I think this is my last picture right there. I have a letter about this studio and we want you to pray with us that God will help us to see the studio up running probably in the next two or three weeks because our conference is going to be aired uh, 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 live streamed or streamed live, what is it, streamed or live streamed, live streamed, it's going to be live streams in a Labor Day weekend. So just pray that we'll be able to get the equipment to do that live stream. Thank you so much. I don't want to take your time. Preacher, he's a good preacher. We want to hear him this morning. Thank you, and please keep praying for us. God bless you. Pastor Mike.
3: I'm going to pray for you, Joseph, again. Let's uh, pray together. Lord God, I thank you uh, for my friend Joseph and Tana and for their children. Lord, for the amazing work that you have been doing in and through him. Uh, We pray, Father, for uh, the... Uh, Muslim people that are around the world, many who have Lord. come to, to the United States. Heavenly Father, we we pray that you would do a, a mighty work and draw them to yourself, uh, Lord. Uh, many do see visions of Jesus, and uh, Lord, they they come to you because you have drawing them to you. Thank you for using uh, Joseph and his family to do that. We pray for the studio. Uh, Lord, that you would provide the necessary equipment that they need, and also, Lord, for this conference uh, that it might go out uh, to the far ends of the world. Bless my brother now, and it's through your son's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, sir. Thank you. Yep, absolutely. Well, good morning, everybody. My name is Mike. I'm one of the pastors here. Thanks for coming and uh, worshiping with us today. Uh, I've been meaning to do this for uh, a long time and I keep forgetting, but uh, Roxanne uh, actually uh, stroked my, my mind this morning. We have uh, folks who are uh, watching our live stream at 9 o'clock from all kinds of different places. Uh, Roxanne's husband, uh, Adam, and I'm, hello, Adam. He's watching right now uh, from the nation of Qatar. He's with the United States military, so we want to say hello uh, to Adam. And also, uh, there's a young man by the name of uh, Aaron Mahalik who. Uh, watches every week. He lives in uh, California. His brother, uh, we had a funeral service for his brother just a few weeks ago. His brother passed away uh, from an opioid overdose. And I got to talk to Aaron on the phone uh, a few weeks ago about his brother. And uh, so Aaron said he's watching all the time. So hello, Aaron. We miss you. Pray that God's doing a good work in you. So uh, hey, it is good to have you here. If you're a guest, thanks for coming and worshiping with us. We try to figure out who you are on the way in and to make sure that we get you uh, a guest bag, but if you're here for the first time and don't have a guest bag, at the end of the service, if you go out through the leftmost doors, uh, one of our greeters will dial you in with that bag, and at this time, we're going to take a moment, we're going to fill out our communication cards, you should have received one of these on the way in, if you don't have pens, there's pens on the tables uh, around the room, Uh, but we'll fill these out, and then we'll... uh, Pray for the offering, and then you can place this in the offering basket. Uh, they're really self-explanatory. The beginning, front is just your contact information and any way that we can serve you down at the bottom. On the back side, uh, there are many areas to serve here at Living Water, and uh, we want to dial you in with that. We're still trying to get all these things up and running right now, uh, but we're in constant need, especially in our kids' ministry. Uh, many of our children's ministry workers have uh, elected to stay home uh, for the time being, And so uh, we do have some needs downstairs during uh, the 9 o'clock and 11 o'clock service. And then finally at the bottom, if we can pray for you, we want to do that. So uh, fill out your card. I'm going to fill out mine, and we'll pray for the offering, and then we'll jump into the message. Precious Heavenly Father, uh, Lord, we come uh, before you uh, this morning, Uh, Lord, here in central Pennsylvania, uh, Lord, and from the the four corners of this earth, and we recognize that you are the sovereign Lord of all things. Father, we pray for our church family, we pray for uh, the men and women, and boys and girls who are watching at home from the live stream. Uh, Lord, certainly uh, wishing that they uh, could be here right now, Uh, Lord, we pray that you would bless them and protect them. We pray for those in our church family who are in faraway places uh, like Adam and Aaron and and many others, my son Michael, and we lift them up to you. Uh, And Lord, we we pray for uh, the folks that are here today, Uh, Lord, that you would meet their their deepest needs. Uh, Father, thank you for the opportunity to have the Mooses here with us today, and uh, we would I'd uh, be remiss if we didn't think about our wonderful uh, missionary, Melissa Baccarelli, uh, who is serving in Italy right now. We pray that you would bless her and protect her as she uh, continues to minister uh, to the people of the wonderful nation of it- Italy. And Lord, thank you for this offering that we're about to receive. Uh, we are grateful for uh, the good work that you have allowed uh, to occur here, even during these difficult times. Thank you for the generosity of the folks who give online, who give through the mail, and ultimately who also give, uh, Lord, in this offering right now. Would you bless it and uh, so that you might be glorified? And it's through your son's name we pray. Amen.
4: after King Belteshazzar and he decided to divide his kingdom into 120 smaller areas called provinces this was a huge undertaking and the king quickly found that despite the fact that he was an elderly man now there was no one in his kingdom as talented and trustworthy as Daniel so the King Darius put Daniel in charge of his entire kingdom Being in control of so much of the kingdom made the other administrators jealous, and they began to look for a way to get rid of Daniel. The wicked advisors went to King Darius and said, O great king, we are all in agreement that no one is as great as you. Because of this, we advise that you make a law that any person who prays to anyone other than you should be thrown into the lion's den. The king agreed to the law. But when Daniel heard that the law had been signed, he went to his house and prayed to God as he normally did. Just as they expected, the wicked advisers found Daniel praying in his house. They immediately went to King Darius and said, Daniel is breaking your law by praying to his God. You must send him to the lion's den. The king was heartbroken and he spent the whole day looking for a way to save Daniel. But the law couldn't be broken. The king gave orders to have Daniel captured and thrown to the lions. The king told Daniel, May your God save you. After Daniel was thrown into the lion's den, a stone was brought and placed over the mouth of the den. King Darius sealed the stone with his own royal seal and the seals of his nobles, so that no one could rescue Daniel. Then the king returned to his palace and spent the night fasting. He refused his usual entertainment and couldn't sleep at all that night. Very early the next morning, King Darius hurried out to the lion's den and called out, Daniel, servant of the living God, did your God rescue you from the lions? Much to the king's surprise, Daniel answered, Long live the king. My God sent his angel to shut the lions' mouths so that they would not hurt me. The king was overjoyed and he ordered that Daniel be lifted from the den. Not a scratch was found on him. Then the king gave orders to arrest the evil advisors who had plotted against Daniel. He had them thrown into the lion's den along with their wives and children. The lions leaped on them and tore them apart before they even hit the floor of the den. Then King Darius sent this message to the people of every race and nation and language throughout the world. Peace and prosperity to you. Everyone in my kingdom should tremble with fear before the God of Daniel because he is the living God and he will endure forever. His kingdom will never be destroyed and his rule will never end. He rescues and saves his people he performs miraculous signs and wonders in the heavens and on earth. He has rescued Daniel from the power of the lions.
3: We thought we would upgrade from the paper bag characters that we had been doing over the last couple couple months, so uh, Pastor Paul spent a little extra money. I think that video probably cost us, what was that, about eight bucks or something like that? I think it was eight bucks well spent. So Uh, as we've been telling you before, uh, we because we're broadcasting this and people have the kids at home, we try to do something to to tie the kids in a little bit here. So that's why uh, we've been playing these videos in the beginning. Now I want to tell you uh, that this past Wednesday I decided that I was going to live a little bit out on the edge in my life. And uh, I decided that I would do something that was absolutely terrifying. Now, I I didn't go skydiving. Uh, Many of you know that I prefer to fly airplanes, uh, not to plummet from them. So I didn't decide I was going to go skydiving. I definitely didn't offer to uh, babysit a, a newborn. Uh, everybody loves newborns. I'm absolutely terrified of newborns. Uh, they're tiny. Uh, they're fragile. Uh, they have bodily fluids coming out of every orifice at unexpected times. I just don't want to be involved with that. Uh, I didn't order uh, takeout from the Vegetable Hunter on North 2nd Street. Uh, it's a pretty cool restaurant by what in the world? What kind of sicko puts the word hunter in the name of a vegetarian restaurant? So I stayed away from from, uh, the vegetarian restaurant. But the terrifying thing that I did was I sat down and I watched the movie, I Still Believe, with my wife Kathy. Now, for months, I have resisted Kathy's pleas to watch this particular movie because I knew that it was going to emotionally take me places where I did not want to go. And uh, Kathy, however, is very relentless, and uh, she might be all of five foot tall and, uh, you know, 110 pounds or something like that, but she's very good at uh, getting me to do things that she wants to be done. So eventually, uh, she just pushed hard enough, and I finally caved in on Wednesday. Now, I don't know what you know uh, about the uh, real-life story of the Christian musician by the name of Jeremy Camp and his wife, Melissa, but let me tell you this— even the most insensitive dudes are going to go through a box of tissues when you watch this particular movie. And uh, the basic premise is that Jeremy Camp is a young college student who travels from his hometown in Indiana, goes out to California, uh, enrolls in Calvary, uh, by, or Calvary Church's college out there, and he meets this young co-ed by the name of Melissa and uh, they, they begin to, uh, a, a little bit of a relationship, it's, it's more of kind of a, uh, a friendship on steroids, basically. Uh, but ultimately, he discovers that she has stage three cancer. Now, I'm about ready to spoil the movie for you. So if you've not seen the movie and you don't want to know what the end is about, you're going to need to plug your ears right now because I'm going to tell you how this whole thing goes down. Despite the cancer, Jeremy marries Melissa, and shortly after their wedding, she dies. I ask you, does anybody wonder why I didn't want to watch this particular movie? So Kathy is, we're downstairs, we have this this pretty wide couch, and uh, Kathy's sitting on one side of the couch, and she is sobbing like crazy at this part of the movie and I'm sitting on the other end of the couch, I am using every ounce of my strength not to break down and cry. I'm doing everything. I'm looking at my cell phone, I'm checking the weather, I'm hoping that one of you will have some kind of uh, crisis and you will text me and you will need me to rush to your house to save you, Uh, but you all let me down And I'm doing all of this, not because I'm afraid to cry. If you've been here long enough, you know I I shed my fair share of tears. But rather, I don't like to see people suffer, not on the big screen, not in person. And I definitely don't like to see myself suffer. And I imagine that probably many of you are exactly the same way. that You really don't want to suffer in your life. However, as I pondered this movie, I came to realize that I still believe it was more than just a, a story about suffering, but it was ultimately a story about being courageously faithful in the, the midst of suffering. And as Christians, I believe we're able to do that, that we can be courageously faithful in the midst of suffering because we, we serve the, this incredible God who is sovereign over all things. And the fundamental truth that that God is sovereign and that because he is sovereign, that you and I can be courageously faithful at all times is what I want to show you uh, this morning as we look into uh, this account of Daniel and the lion's den that's recorded in Daniel chapter six. So if you have a a Bible with you or a Bible app on your phone, if you open up to Daniel chapter six, we're going to make our way through the entirety of the chapter. I'm only going to read... uh, a little bit here in the beginning, and then we'll just kind of continue to work our way through that. So we're going to look at Daniel chapter 6, verses 1 through 9, and uh, if you are able to stand in honor of God's word, I would humbly ask that you would do so. Daniel chapter 6, it pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 satraps to be throughout the whole kingdom. And over them three presidents of whom Daniel was one and to whom these satraps should give account so that, they, so that the king might not suffer loss. Then this Daniel became distinguished above all the other presidents and satraps because an excellent spirit was in him. And the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. Then the presidents and the satraps sought to find a ground for complaint against Daniel with regard to the kingdom. But he could find no ground for complaint or any fault, because he was faithful and no error or fault was found in him. Then these men said, We shall not find any ground for complaint against this Daniel unless we find it in connection with the law of his God. Then the presidents and the satraps came by agreement to the king and said to him, O king Darius, live forever. All the presidents of the kingdom, the prefects, and the satraps, the counselors, the governors are agreed that the king should establish an ordinance and enforce an injunction that whoever makes petition to any god or man for 30 days except you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions. Now, O king, establish the injunction and sign the document so that it cannot be changed according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be revoked. Therefore, King Darius signed the document and the injunction this is the word of god you may be seated now we have been jumping around in god's word a lot over these last eight weeks as we uh examine the these accounts of people who have have lived faithful lives uh that are recorded in god's word and and so what i want to do is I, i try to set a little bit of background here for you because we're all over the place and it helps to understand a little bit of of the chronology that's going on here at this point in God's story, God's chosen people, the Israelites, they're, they're in a bad way. Some, some 3,000 years ago, after the, the death of King Solomon, the, the nation of Israel divided into two separate kingdoms. There was the, the northern kingdom, which retained uh, the name Israel, and, and they had 10 of the 12 tribes. And there, there was the southern kingdom, which took upon themselves the name of Judah, And they had the remaining two tribes. And during the the next 200 plus years after these nations divided, both the the southern kingdom and the northern kingdom became extremely immoral. They embraced all kinds of idolatry and wickedness. And and as it is typically when we uh, involve ourselves in idolatry and wickedness, over time God becomes unimpressed. And God becomes so unimpressed with their disobedience that he allows the Assyrian Empire to come and conquer the northern kingdom in 722 BC. And then, about 100 years later, in 605 BC, the Babylonian Empire kind of raise, rises to, to power in the region. They come and conquer the Assyrians. And uh, so now they're over. Uh, the northern kingdom and then they're like well why don't we since we got the northern kingdom of Israel let's go get the southern kingdom while we're at it and so the Babylonians come down and they conquer uh, the southern kingdom and now all 12 tribes of the Israelites are now under captivity by the Babylonians. And one of the things that conquering nations did back in that day was they would take the best and the brightest from the lands that they had conquered, they would bring them back to their capital, and they would put them into a, a training regiment so that the, these best and brightest can actually become workers in the government of the king of the conquering nation that's exactly what happens to Daniel in the first chapter of Daniel we learn that when Daniel was a teenage boy he is brought to uh the court of king nebuchadnezzar he's trained and he's given a, subsequently a position of great power within the kingdom and over time he rises up through the ranks of the government and by the time that we get to Daniel chapter 6, some 60 years have passed. Daniel is now in his 80s. Uh, the Babylonians have now been conquered by the Persians. Nebuchadnezzar is out of the picture, and now there is a new king by the name of Darius. And King Darius, he recognizes Daniel's wisdom, and so he appoints Daniel along with two other guys to be the basically the presidents that, that rule over the entirety of the land that the Persians have conquered. But there is a problem here. Daniel is way too good at his job. He's so good that, that King Darius is like, you know what, I don't need these other two clowns. I'm going to promote you. You're going to be in charge of absolutely everything. Well, now, while all of that sounds good for Daniel and Darius, it doesn't sound very good for for the two other presidents, and basically all the people that were under those presidents. Uh, So they decided they're going to come after Daniel. Daniel is a foreigner. He is not like them, Uh, but that's only the half of it. Daniel is also a, a monotheist. He is a worshiper of only one God. He is the worshiper of the God of the Israelites. And to make matters worse, Daniel's not a guy who's shy about his faith. And so he Uh, Everybody knows that he is a a worshiper of the God of the Israelites. So all of the leaders of Persia decide they need to take him out. And that brings me to the first point that I want to share this morning. It's this. That God uh, has has placed his people, and that would be you and me, in a world that is hostile towards him and a world that is hostile towards towards us. Now before we dive into this point, let let me uh, expound on something. I want you to think for a moment about Daniel. He is both uh, skilled in secular work and he's also deeply in love with Jesus. He's not a pastor. He's not a priest. God has given him some prophetic giftings but he's he's not using those as being a pastor or a priest. Uh, The reality is Daniel is a a secular guy. He's a, a secular worker, just like the vast majority of all the people that are sitting in the room right now and all of the people that are watching the live stream right now. And Daniel's a guy that gets up every single day and he goes to a secular job and he works hard. And he's really good at what he does And he's really faithful to his employer, so good and faithful that not only does his boss take notice, but all of his co-workers take notice. And if you look at verse 4, it says this, Then the high officials and the satraps sought to find a ground for complaint against Daniel with regard to the kingdom. But they could find no ground for complaint or any fault because he was faithful and no error or fault was found in him. Now, folks, jealousy has a long history of trying to destroy people. And Daniel's co-workers are extremely jealous of him to the point that they want to find fault in him so that they can lobby to get rid of him. But the problem is they can find no ground for a complaint in him. And so I'm wondering, are you and I that kind of person? Are we like Daniel? Are we so faithful to in the secular world that our co-workers and our bosses and our customers and our vendors or our clients, anybody who interacts with us, they can find absolutely no fault in us. See, brothers and sisters, that is what a godly employee is, a a godly neighbor, a godly friend, a godly citizen. That's what, what they look like. We're called to. Work is unto the Lord. We are called to consider others better than ourselves. We are called to do justice and to, to love kindness and to walk humbly with our God. That's what we've been called to do. If we've claimed the name of Jesus and we engage in our world, those are the characteristics that are to flow out from us. But Daniel wasn't just faithful in the secular arena to his employer. He was also faithful to his God. Look at verse 5. Then these men said, We shall not find any ground for complaint against this Daniel unless we find it in connection with the law of his God. You see, when it came time to take Daniel out, all of his co-workers and all of the people underneath him, they decide that they've got to place him into a position where where he has no choice but to compromise something. He either has to, to compromise his secular employment or he's got to compromise his relationship with God. And brothers and sisters, you and I are pretty much facing the same thing. The only difference is no one is actually gunning for our lives, at least not yet. You see, all around us, there are temptations... To compromise our faith we're told that we can't share our faith in the workplace because that might be offensive to someone else we're told that we can't hold this position or that position or on issues of morality because it's phobic this or it's phobic that And speaking about our position to other people would be called hate speech. In some places, we're told we're not allowed to sing. Other places, we're told we're not allowed to worship. Other places, we're told that that we we can't wear this particular article of, of clothing, or we can't carry that book, or we can't speak those words. You see, everything is designed... To cause us to be assimilated into our culture, to cause us to to compromise uh, our faith and our values, and to cause us to choose between serving our God and, and and being faithful to the laws of our land, and like Daniel, we live in this world that's hostile to God and it's ultimately hostile to God's people. And to not just survive, we you know one of the things you can do is you just kind of try to survive, but that's not what we're called to do. We're called to thrive in the midst of this. We're, 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 we're called to not run away. We're called to be countercultural, to go against the flow of the culture, not to flee from the culture, but to actually engage the culture. And in order to do that, we need to understand that God has placed us here. God has put us here at this time and this place for a purpose. There is a reason why. We've all been born in the United States or or why we have immigrated to the United States. There is a reason why you live in the house that you live with the neighbors that you have or the apartment that you live in or, or the halfway house that you live in or the dorm room that you live in. There is a reason why... We have the jobs that we have or go to the schools that we go to or or don't currently have a job and are trying to figure our way through life. There's a reason why we have the co-workers that we have and the next-door neighbors that we have. And the Apostle Paul, he tells us that reason in Acts chapter 17. He says this, The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, yet he is actually not far from each one of us. You see, God, in his sovereignty, has placed you and I at this time in history and this place on earth so that he might be glorified through us. And none of this is random. Everything is a part of God's plan. The good, the bad, The ugly, the beautiful, the painful, the pleasant. God is working in and through us always, ultimately for his glory. And in the process, as we navigate our way through this world, a world that is hostile to God and hostile to us, we are called to love God and we're called to love others. And that, my friends, is exactly what Daniel has done. Look at verses 10 through 15. When Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he went to his house where he had windows in his upper chamber open towards Jerusalem. And he got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he had done previously. Then these men came by agreement and found Daniel making petition and plea before his God. Then they came near and said before the king concerning the injunction, O king, did you not sign an injunction that anyone who makes petition to you or to to any god or man within 30 days except you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions? And the king answered and said, The thing stands fast according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be revoked. Then they answered and said before the king, Daniel, it was one of the exiles from <coughs> Judah, pays no attention to you, O king, or the injunction you have signed, but makes his petition three times a day. Then the king, when he heard these words, was much distressed and set his mind to deliver Daniel. And he labored till the sun went down to rescue him. Then these men came by agreement to the king and said to the king, no, O king, That it is a law of the Medes and Persians that no injunction or ordinance that the king established can be changed. You see, when Daniel was forced to make a choice between obeying God or obeying the unjust law created by a group of godless, self-serving, jealous government officials, that if he disobeyed, he would lose his life. But if he obeyed it, he would keep his life. He chose to obey God. Now, I want you to see how he does it. Look at verse 10. When Daniel knew that the document was signed, when the die had been cast, when there was no turning back, he went to his house Where he had windows in his upper chamber open towards Jerusalem. And he got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he had done previously. From his perspective, nothing had changed. He had absolutely nothing to hide. He had been praying to God in the open for probably the last 60 plus years when he was in captivity. But he didn't just pray. God's word also tells us that he gave thanks. And, and no doubt, down he understands the, the consequences of, of what he is doing. And rather than pleading with God to save him, Instead, he prays a prayer of thankfulness. Now, I want you to think about this for a moment. What in the world does this guy have to be thankful for? He has been living in exile for 60 years. As a kid, he was stole from his family, brought into a foreign land. And, and, and while he's worked his way up, he's not from his hometown. And, and think about this. He's done all of this work for 60 years. What in the world does he have to show for it? Most of the Jews who have been brought into captivity, they've caved. They've dumped their faith. They've assimilated into the Babylonian culture, and then ultimately into the Persian culture. The ones who don't, the ones who get allowed from Darius to be sent back to the city of Jerusalem to build the walls and restore the city, they go back. They work on it for a little bit. They they are afraid. They're irritated. They can't get along. And so, what do they do? They dump rebuilding the city, and they focus on themselves and begin to build their own homes with paneled walls. I mean, nobody's doing anything to, to honor God here. What, what in the world does, does Daniel have to be thankful for? There's nothing obvious that could point to success. Yet he gives thanks to God, even when he knows very well it is probably going to cost him his life. And the author of Hebrews speaks of this kind of obedience and trust in Hebrews chapter 11. Speaking about people of great faith, this is what he says. And what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of Daniel and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms and forced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouth of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight, "'Women received their dead back by resurrection. "'Some were tortured, refusing to accept release "'so that they might rise again to a better life. "'Others suffered mocking and flogging "'and even chains and imprisonment. "'They were stoned, they were sawn in two, "'they were killed with a sword.' They went about in skins of sheeps and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and dens and caves of the earth. And all these, though commended through, us, through their faith, did not receive what was promised, since God provided something better for us, that apart from us they should not be made perfect. For every one of these God-loving god-fearing god save men and women their faith led them to suffering in the midst of a hostile world yet they were able to press forward because god was providing them something better and that something better was himself now this past friday uh I was working on the message and Kathy stopped in to check on me and uh, we started talking about the the challenges that that we face in our lives like many of the challenges that you guys face in your lives. And and so as we're talking, I'm telling her, you know, Kathy, I'm struggling to get this message done. I got started late in the week. I didn't get started until you know, Thursday afternoon. I like to get started on Wednesday, and, and I'm just I'm frustrated with this. I know I'm going to have to spend a better part of Saturday in here finishing things up. Uh, we were talking about some of the challenges that we've been facing uh, at Living Water in the midst of this COVID and some other issues that, that are going on. I was telling her how much I, you know, I was talk to, to, had talked to my son Mike, and he's trapped, you know, he's not trapped down in Ecuador, but you know, he's down in Ecuador. We can't travel down to see him. We haven't seen him for uh, coming on, you know, eight, nine months or so. I talked about how, you know, I, I miss seeing my son John out in the western part of Ohio. Uh, how I've been, you know, concerned about my, my daughter Nicole because she's not been working for the, the last several months because of this whole virus thing and we don't know whether her dental office is going to call her back or not. And uh, one of the other things is just like, I was like, Kath, this just really stinks. You know, here we are, we're in our mid-50s. we got three kids. We've got one that's married. We don't have any grandkids. We've got all our other friends have got grandkids, and they're enjoying their grandkids. And, you know, I'm just kind of basically having this subdued, selfish, Pastor Mike pity party. You know, one that didn't take into account all of the great things that God was doing in my life. And I'm wondering, you know, are any of you guys like that? I mean, you go through life and you focus on the 20% of life that are the struggles, and then the 80% of life that's just really good, you just really don't even think about. Now, you know, if there's one thing about Kathy, Kathy is a lot more spiritual than I am. And she is wonderful, and and so she patiently heard me out. And then she said to me, you know, Mike, there are a lot of things that you and I want in this world, but there is only one thing that will never disappoint us. Mike will disappoint us, John will disappoint us, Nicole will disappoint us. Grandkids will ultimately disappoint us. Living water will disappoint you. Getting your sermon done on time will disappoint you. There is only one thing, Mike, that will never disappoint. And that is Jesus. And if you and I, Mike, would long for Jesus, as much as we long for all of the other things in this world, our life would be far different. And at that point, I looked at Kath and I threw her out of my office. <laughs> you see, what Kathy wanted for me and what Kathy wanted for herself was the very thing that Daniel wanted. He longed for the things of God. More than the things of Persia. And he was willing to lose it all, to gain so much more. And that brings me to my final point. You see, God, more times than not, he rescues us out of the midst of the struggle rather than rescues us from the struggle. Let me explain. Look at the next couple verses, 16 to 23. Then the king commanded, and Daniel was brought and cast into the den of lions. The king declared to Daniel, may your God, whom you serve continually, deliver you. And a stone was brought and laid on the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet, and with the signet of his lord's, that nothing might be changed concerning Daniel. Then the king went to his palace and spent the night fasting. No diversions were brought to him, and sleep fled from him. Then at the break of day, the king arose and went in haste to the den of lions. And he came near to the den where Daniel was, and he cried out in a tone of anguish. The king declared to Daniel, "O Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to deliver you from the lions? And then Daniel said to the king, You know, what I find amazing about this passage is up to this point, Daniel, he's not said anything. There's nothing recorded of what Daniel has ultimately said, save this very last thing once he actually gets saved. So basically what's going on is Daniel is, is being quiet through this. You don't even see him trying to defend himself in any way. You don't see him pleading for his life. Nowhere do we see him trying to manipulate his circumstances to try to save his neck. He simply entrusts himself to the Lord. First Peter speaks of this. For what credit is it if when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure? This is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For to this you have been called. and live to righteousness by his wounds. You have been healed, for you were straying like sheep, but now return to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. No matter how you slice it, suffering is fundamental to the Christian life. If Jesus, God's own son, had to suffer... Why in the world would we think that we're exempt? And as I said before, rarely does God rescue us from the struggle. Instead, he rescues us out of the midst of the struggle. And he does it, why? So that his glory can be seen in the most powerful way. Think about it. What is more remarkable? What gives God more glory? Does God get more glory if he shows up and prevents Daniel from being thrown into the lion's den? Or does God get more glory when he allows Daniel to be thrown into the lion's den, keeps him there all night, and then in the morning Daniel is untouched and alive? Which one of those two gives God more glory? And what about your life? And what about my life? Does God get more glory if he keeps you and me from suffering? Or does God get more glory if he delivers you and I out of the midst of suffering? Or empowers us to endure in the midst of suffering? So many of us, me standing at the front of the line, want a comfy life. We want to think, as long as I love God, And as long as I obey God, everything should go smoothly for me. And for many people, that is exactly what they see in this account of Daniel. They basically walk away and they say, you know, isn't this wonderful? Trust God and he will take care of you. But here's the reality of things, folks. We can be the most obedient Christian in the world. We can love God with all that we have. We can teach Bible studies. We can attend church. We can go out on the streets and evangelize people. We can tend to the sick, care for the needy, stand up for injustice. We can do all the right things. And not only does God allow us to suffer, sometimes He might not even rescue us out of the suffering. And yet, he's still God. And we're called to love him anyhow. Now, some of you are probably like, Mike, where in the world do you get that from the text? Where does that flow? I mean, you know, that God might not rescue us? I mean, here God at least rescues the dude. He may have had to let him in the lion's den for a while, but he at least shows up on the scene. Where do you get this? Daniel doesn't, he suffers, yeah, but he doesn't die. I'll tell you where I get it. There's another account in the Bible. One that is extraordinarily similar to Daniel's account. An account where there is another man, a faithful man, who no error or fault was found on him. An account where those in power saw this faithful man. They saw him as a threat to their control, and they do everything in their power to destroy him. An account where the ultimate leader of the land allows himself to be manipulated to the point where he condemns a faithful man to death. But in this account, unlike Daniel who who doesn't experience even a single scratch or a hangnail, this faithful man, he has his clothes stripped from his body, flesh torn from his back and his limbs, his hands and feet pierced with nails, a crown of thorns impaled upon his head. The very breath and life that he has extinguished on a brutal Roman cross. And when it was all over, that faithful man's shattered, broken, and dead body was placed into a tomb. And that tomb was covered with a large stone and sealed with a government seal, much like Daniel's den. And like Daniel, it appeared that evil won the day. But on the third day, when the stone was rolled away, that which was dead, it had returned to life. Conquering sin and death, paying a a debt for our sins that we could never ever pay on our own, and providing hope and forgiveness, both in this life and in the next for those who repent of their sins and receive Jesus Christ in faith. Brothers and sisters, make no mistake about it. God rescues his people. More times than not, he rescues them out of the midst of suffering rather than from suffering. That's what he did for Daniel. That is what he did for Jesus. And that is what he will do for those of us who entrust ourselves to his care. Listen to the words of Jesus' dear friend Peter. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice in so far as you have shared Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or a meddler. Yet if anyone suffers as Christians, let him or her not be ashamed, but let them glorify God in that name. For it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, What will be the outcome of those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. That, my friends, is the Christian life. It is a life of struggle, but also a life where in the midst of that struggle that we can rejoice and be glad because God is being glorified in us and through us. And and the end of the story has not been written. We know not what tomorrow is like. We know not what a year from now is like or 10 years from now is like, but what we do know as those who love Jesus, who've repented of our sins, and received him as Lord and Savior, that we will be with him in glory, and we will live forever in a kingdom that is perfect and wonderful. And might we entrust our souls to that faithful creator, and all the while, doing good. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you for this time I pray for my brothers and sisters in this room, Lord, especially for those who are going through difficult times of struggle and pain. I pray, Heavenly Father, that you would intercede in their lives, Lord, in your mercy, that that you might deliver them from the struggles that, that they are experiencing. But Heavenly Father, do that in your time, not in our time. Do it in such a way that you might be glorified. And Father, in the midst of the struggle, in the midst of the pain, would you give us joy? and contentment and trust knowing Lord that you are carrying us that you are walking beside us that you are caring for us that you are paving the way That, Lord, that there is hope on the other side of death. There is hope on the other side of divorce. There is hope on the other side of depression. There is hope on the other side of betrayal. There is hope on the other side of addiction. God, you are good. Your son is good. He has conquered sin and death and has given us life. Let us live in that life. And all God's people said, amen. Would you stand with us as we prepare to close? me bless you now. And, uh, and now the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. God bless you guys. Uh, I love you. Go and, and serve the Lord and uh, stand up in the midst of suffering because God is good. Bye-bye.